but I think that's the problem. Like maybe we shouldn't be holding the exact same template to each and every student yeah. and maybe meet them where they're at as an individual. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Jacob Miranda, an advanced doctoral student in the Experimental Psychology Program here at the University of Alabama, where I have a concentration in social psychology. And I'm Cassie Witt, a pedagogical assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Western Kentucky University. Together, we are the hosts of Corrupting the Youth, a podcast about the teaching of psychology. If you love psychology, education, or both, then this is the podcast for you. Hello, 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 beautiful people. Welcome back to season two, episode three, I believe. We're already 33% of the way of season one. <laughs> uh, technically speaking, we're just like, ah, oh, yeah. We're doing so well. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully this new season has close to like more 20 episodes since we're not starting in the middle of like an academic full year, right? We're yeah, not just doing it in spring, we're starting in fall. I think our plan is to make a season a full academic year, so we'll like start one in August and conclude in May. I like take that some plan. breaks around like Christmas time, you know, some work. No, such or- a nice boundaries yeah gotta practice what we preach i think we have like a self-care um but before we jump into today's topic or even before we begin to life updates cassie i want to publicly apologize to you and i Uh want anyone who listens to this to know for anyone who's been listening to the first two episodes as i hear it on edit and as we're about to upload it i recognize the cut dr Whitoff quite a bit Mm -hmm. and particularly on the episode that's being released on when is it being released the 29th the 29th second episode so Hopefully you'll see a noticeable me trying to shut up and listen to people much more brilliant than me. But okay. I wanted to acknowledge that of like I, I cut I catch it. I don't want to be that person. You know what? I appreciate you acknowledging it and um apologizing and you know making a real conscious effort not to do it anymore (laughs) i do think in your defense though and i've told you this i think it's hard because we record on a zoom call so i think it is like kind of difficult on zoom sometimes to like see when another person is about to talk it's just harder to catch those kind of like cues because normally i feel like when you're having a conversation with someone in person you can kind of tell when they're like wanting to say something or like about to say something on zoom it's way harder to to catch those really subtle cues it's a skill and i am working on it how are you though jacob i am missing me i'm just gonna leave that hang in the air for a bit maybe we'll <laughs> we'll get back to it but let's put that on the ground for now and maybe it'll be picked up later uh i am busy <laughs> it's just a lot of stuff happening at once everyone knows season two is the the season of jacob's the job saga. hunts mm-hmm. yeah the saga the odyssey the uh any other fancy term <laughs> but yeah we have that balancing dissertation work which coding is taking a lot longer and i need to get that into collect data uh and i think it's just kind of like that anxiousness of like it's not particularly hard to do but it might take two-ish more weeks to do And I want to collect data now. And I'm like, I just want to get the survey ready. I understand. Yeah, it's always like that period between, you know, like you have a study planned and like you're at the point where you're like, okay, like I have all of the like details hammered out. Like I just need to like create the materials now. And it's like, oh, why do I have to do this? It's almost like how you feel, or at least for me, it's 
almost how I feel when like I have to do like data cleaning, you know, where it's like, I'm done with data collection. It's like, I just want to do the analyses. Like I want to know like the answer to my question, but I have to go through that whole arduous process. And I can already hear someone saying, but Jacob, don't you have undergrad RAs? Um, don't you want them to like code your things or like have, I don't want to say busy work, but like this more tedious-ish work. Don't you mm-hmm. have like extra hands on deck? And I do. And they are helping me with other projects, but there's something about it being my dissertation and tied with me graduating where I start having a bit of trust issues. And maybe that's on me, maybe as, you know, a mentor, I need to have more trust. But like, this is a complicated design and there's just something about it where like, if there's a mistake being made, I need to know I was the one that made it. Right. Um, And I'm also trying to be like extra, extra, not to make any mistakes versus like, yeah. Yeah, I think you do have a really complicated design happening here. And even you, like there's a learning curve for you and you've been working in Qualtrics for a while now, like learning how to do like all of this like coding and embedded data and stuff like that. So handing it over just to like one of the undergrad RAs maybe is not the move. Like I would be anxious doing that if I were you. What kind of idiots? Like maybe we need to do a personalized survey based off over a dozen responses with thousands of variations. And I'm like, hi, it's me. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, like, I mean, I had the thought as you were like pitching your dissertation idea, but I believe in you. I think you can do it. It can be done. It'll just definitely take time. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, I'm not sure when we'll record next because sometimes we're going to, we might be recording weekly, but like in our next second or third recording, I'll probably have pause news, yeah. but then that won't be released until like freaking October. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, how did so. it go? And you're like, oh, well, but other stuff I'm getting involved in, uh, my presidency in the student graduate association Mm-hmm. has kept me very, very busy as well. I'm planning DEI town halls. I've been emailing all the graduate students constantly. We're fixing up DEI initiatives, both at the faculty and graduate level. I'm trying to work with insurance for the clinical students. Nice. It's just a lot. And I think the fear is like, I got in the position, so I feel like there is a responsibility to do it well enough for it just to be a CV line warmer. Okay. And I feel like a lot of the pushback I get from my peers, it's like, you don't have to be doing all that. And they're absolutely right. So this is almost like the service end of like academia. They're like, is this going to be the most valued? I'm like, incentive-wise, probably not, but like internally motivated-wise, like this is still important work that needs to be done. So like busy, stressful, but like I'm busy and stressed for all the good things, for like all the right things, right? Like it's not like, oh my God, it's chaotic and Cassie's beating me behind the scenes of her podcast mic. And I'm like, oh God, this is so (laughs) awful. And I'm a podcaster because, like, let's do that. Cassie, can I tell them the secret, though? Can I tell them what I'm excited for? Yeah, or give them a hint. Uh, We have a series of guests, not just one or two, several, several guests lined up to be interviewed. People from both UA and big leadership positions, Mm -hmm. but people from, oh, I don't want to say names, but I think it's like Michigan. And then Mm -hmm. we also have someone from Kentucky that's not from your institution that you're currently working on right now. So like we're getting a series of people, leaders in the field for teaching. And hopefully like season two can also just be the season of like more interviews and like hearing these cool established folk, how they navigate pedagogy. Yeah, I think that there are definitely some great teachers out there. And I'm excited that we're going to get to speak to some of them. Um, And these are all, all of these guests we specifically curated because they are teachers that we 
really respect and think are cool and are doing some awesome innovative things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully there'll be an opportunity to tie in that stuff with your own dissertation work and we can actually have an episode dedicated to that. So Yeah. I guess like one update for me, I don't know if I've said this in a past episode. I um, submitted my dissertation as a symposium for the upcoming teaching of psychology conference this October in Pittsburgh, and that was accepted. So if anybody wants to meet me in person, I'll be in Pittsburgh in October. Um, come see my talk. <laughs> All right. Now I must ask. So I did my vent session of like, ar, 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 and vomited. Mm-hmm. But Cassie, you are, and I'm sure this is anyone, anyone who starts a new job, is going to a new place, and you know, it's actually, actually starting fall semester starting for both of us right yes and this time I kind of got my routine down of how to teach a class as a doctoral candidate and got that you're a new faculty member with like faculty meetings and um, probably have your schedule or class schedule mm-hmm. than just one or two courses what's yeah. going on in your life Oh, a lot. Um, so I am for my position teaching a four four load. Um, so I'm going from teaching like one class a semester to teaching four classes. Um, so this semester I'm teaching two sections of social psychology and then I'm teaching a research methods class with a lab. I I'm nervous like for myself because it's gonna be, I think, a little bit exhausting. Um, so like all of my classes are on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I have never experienced like teaching classes like back to back to back like that. Um, so I think that's going to take some adjustment and getting used to, but I am really, really excited about them as well. Um, so like one thing about my new institution is that class sizes are a whole lot smaller than they are at Alabama. So like my classes are like capped at 32 students. So I'm really excited to like do a lot of like hands-on work and really get to know them. I've already had like a few students email me just to like introduce themselves and it's just, it's so exciting. And then yesterday I had my first faculty meeting, which was also really exciting. There were donuts. (laughs) Um, And afterwards it was just really fun to like be in like the suite of like psychology department offices where like all the other faculty were there and like you could hear people like having conversations and like talking about like mediation analyses over here or like a textbook over there and I was like so happy to just be like part of that energy Um, like that was just really invigorating Um, you know people stopping by your office to like check in and say hello and I don't know. And then also yesterday, I'm the faculty advisor for the psychology club this year. So like I got an opportunity yesterday to kind of like table and for the club and kind of advertise it and stuff to students. So I got to talk to a lot of like freshman psychology students and that was really fun. One of them thought I was a student. She was like, I thought you were just 20 years old. And I was like, you're my new favorite. (laughs) But I don't know. That was really fun. Just like getting to see like them be excited. Like some of them came up to the table and they were like, I'm doing this. Like I'm going to be part of this club. It's just like a lot. There's like a lot of energy. It's kind of exhausting. But at the same time, just like really pumping me up. Staying true to our podcast name of Corrupting the Youth. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, um, I think it will be a really great opportunity. Um, and I have like all kinds of plans of things like I want to do do with the club. I think as of right now, they're mostly like a, a social organization, but I would love to like 
implement more like professional development and career things. Yeah, that's such a good resource, especially if people are feeling like there's not enough inside the class to incorporate career-based stuff. We have a dedicated club that can supplement that. Exactly. So I like where your head's at. All right. So now that we've got some updates, what did you used to call them? Roses and thorns. Roses we didn't really, and thorns. We really Peaches didn't and do, pits. Yeah. We really didn't do like good things, bad things. But uh, um, now, now, now that we've got those life updates out of the way, um, I thought today we could spend some time talking about something that's kind of fresh in, in my mind, which are like course objectives and really just broadly course design. Um, So I don't know about you, Jacob, but I have been furiously creating syllabi the last few weeks um, in preparation of the semester starting um, and with teaching three different classes, like preparing three different syllabi. Over the summer semester, I don't know, summer break really for me, I had the opportunity through my new institution, Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning, to take a course, like a five-week course on how to do online teaching, like how to design a good, effective, engaging, asynchronous um, online class. And as part of the curriculum that they had, they made us like discuss and like do some readings on course design. And I realized like for as much as I like love teaching and, you know, picking out things to put on a course schedule and topics to talk about with students, I hadn't really given much deep thought to like course design or like some of like the research behind like how to appropriately design a course. But one of the topics that we ended up talking about was something called backward design. According to this idea of like backward design, it's supposed to be an alternative to the typical approach to course design, which is usually called like a forward design. So I think typically the approach to designing a course is that an instructor will think about the kinds of activities that they want to do in order to teach content, you know, so like lectures or group discussions and things like that. And then once you have those kinds of like activities in place, you then go about developing kinds of assessments around those learning activities. So that could be like some sort of like written assignment or a test or a quiz. Uh, And once you have those in place, at that point, you go back and you try to draw connections between these kinds of learning activities and assessments to the goals that you have in your class. And so backward design, on the other hand, is meant to kind of like decrease like busy work activities um, and increase like the value of instruction. So you first start with like, what are the goals in your class? I think like intuitively, that's kind of like what I thought that I did. Like in my classes, like, of course, like I start with like these really like lofty goals for my students. And then like I work to create assessments or like modalities of instruction to accomplish those particular goals. But I think really like the ties between like what I was doing, like the tie between, you know, the assessments that I used and like what my learning goals were are actually pretty weak. And so with like backward design, the idea is that you start with like these like really clear learning objectives and then you try to think of things that you can do in the classroom to like accomplish those things. So I don't know, have you had you heard of backward design previously? Yeah, so I've heard it several times in my life. Once was in a class where I minored in education as an undergrad. So a lot of the education courses 
How did I not know that? Yeah, it's like, I've, yeah, I don't know. But now, you know, surprise. Huzzah. And then in my master's, when I was able to take some like elective courses or write things, not necessarily for the degree, but you still need credits. Um, I went to the education department and took some of their courses. And so at least to my understanding, a lot of like what you go to school for, get your, your master's in education. When I guess doctorate, you just do research. But like the big takeaway isn't necessarily how to, it's not like a communications degree where it's like how to give the best lecture. Um, a lot of it's more of like the science of course design. And so like there's a whole class dedicated to backward design. Um, so I have heard of this concept before. Um, and colloquially, I think you and I have both heard of this, right? Of start with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you are described it, but I'm going to sum it up, but the general like three-step process is one, people are like, let me choose a topic that I think is interesting, right? Step two, let me start preparing lectures about those topics or a series of lectures or activities. And step three, typically in grading, you give some sort of homework assignment, test, or project. And when you go from one step to one, two, and three, that's kind of the forward approach that you're taking. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, because you've already given your lectures and you've already done your activities, and now you're sitting down and be like, let me make a test for this. It's very much this idea of like, what did I talk about? And then it's like, if you didn't really clarify specifically during those lectures what was important what wasn't you're probably going to leave some stuff out on the test or assessment or project and so the logic behind that is you basically have a lot of fat quote-unquote fat or wasteful time or inefficient time that could have been optimized and so backwards design is if you've created your assessments first and again it doesn't have to be a test or homework assignment it could be recording a podcast episode or it could be like doing a journal or writing a blog or having some students do something to demonstrate these outcomes first then you go backwards to step two or step one and you're like now let me make sure my lecture is laser focused let me make sure any in-class activities everything is really, really, really tied so that they for sure can perform this assessment at the end of it. And so I think the biggest benefit of backwards design is its intentionality, basically being clear, being concise. I have mixed feelings about backwards design because ultimately I can see it being implemented very poorly. Mm-hmm. And I can elaborate on that, but I do think it's so useful and helpful in a lot of ways, right? So this isn't just like a tool that should be blindly done without being intentional. Like clear benefit is for you, you've described and made you reflective. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if you thought you were doing it well, and maybe you're not going to have all lectures laser focused on these specific outcomes, you've now made the connection at least stronger. So like, right. there's a clear benefit of just like sitting down and actually, can you draw the connections and are they as strong as we would like them to be? Right. Um, here's kind of like the most negative way I can see it being implemented. Someone says, hey, here are my three learning objectives. And it's almost like the government standards or like STARS for California. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know where you have like state standards and teaching to the test? Oh, where, yeah. Yeah. You've limited yourself by saying objective A, objective B, objective C. That's all this lecture is going to be about. And anything else beyond that is not within our scope. So we will not be talking about that. Uh... Right. So that might be okay if it's a skills-based course, but like for an intro psych course, right? Or even like even a more advanced course where you're like trying to get interest and expose them to new information. Like if one of my lofty goals is like build intrinsic curiosity within students mm-hmm. and what I'm saying, how I'm going to assess that is if they know definitions A, B, and C. Basically, my fear is that you can overcommit and lose your flexibility within the classroom. So you're well... following it so strictly where you're not giving yourself room to like, if the class needs to adapt or the students have a different interest or they ask a good question and you're like, I don't want to waste time. We need to stick with what this pre-planned lecture is. Right. Cause it doesn't fit into like this little box that I've created for what should be accomplished in this class. Yeah. To be clear, it's not, I'm not saying this is how it 
is implemented often, and this might be a very rare thing, but I can see someone sticking to that script of like, the objective is the objective, and listen, this is just the objective. Right. I mean, I think that at least the way it was presented to me in this class that I took, it was like you start off with like these like larger course objectives that are still like clear, concise, and measurable, but are still pretty broad. And then from there, you can create weekly objectives that fit into that box, but can be like a little more tailored to like the specific content that you want to talk about that particular week. So you don't have to just be like, one of my course objectives is that they learn these definitions or, you know, whatever. Like that could be like a smaller weekly objective that fits under the umbrella of like this kind of more like broad idealistic objective that you create in the course. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think for the most part, it's a strong positive. I think it's something that most teachers don't actually, or most professors don't actually do. I think we just kind of like all lecture at students and then we're just like, eh, here's a test that I gave 10 years ago and I've been reusing. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to course objectives, though, I feel like I sit down and I like have my course planned out and I'm just like, okay, now I have to come up with these like course objectives. And then I usually just like look at someone else's syllabus and I'm like, what were your course objectives? Um, Which can be useful, I think. But like you said, like the the point is like you want to be really intentional with your course objectives. And so this at least like being exposed to backward design um, has like caused me to to be a little more intentional. I think one thing about backward design that was helpful for me was also just this focus on how a course objective needs to be something that is measurable or you like you really need to think about how you can measure this, you know. So I kind of likened it in my mind to like creating or like having like a really abstract construct that you want to research and then making sure that you have some clear operationalization of like that variable or that construct. You know, so like I often have these really lofty idealistic course objectives, I think, you know, like in Psych 101, I'm like, one of my course objectives is always to get a broad perspective of the human condition and like respect humanity and things like that. But I don't think I really have any kinds of assessments that tap into that specifically, you know, that really try to measure like how much they respect people of like different identities and perspectives and stuff. And so like that's something I want to like try harder to do. Something I've been recently reading about, um, and maybe a pitfall that again, this is always goes back to being flexible. Mm-hmm. It's that when people implement this to my understanding, sometimes they may limit it to just like one type of assessment to measure that one goal, right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine a paper that says, you know, or the learning objectives are define topic A, define topic B, contrast topic A versus uh, B. And the assessment is write an essay that defines A, defines B, and compares Mm -hmm. them, contrasts them. And so you're like, here's my assignment, the paper, it measures it, that's great. And that definitely is one way to do it. Where I think it's better right? And again, this could be my own opinion. I don't know if they talked about this in your workshop. I don't know what was covered, but even having flexibility or like multiple options or essentially, I think the term I read was like a roadmap. You demonstrating your knowledge acquisition doesn't just have to be a test or doesn't just have to be a paper, but it can manifest in other creative ways. So like maybe for Cassie, you're doing a TikTok project, right? Mm -hmm. So like, you can give them options to like, hey, for those of you who are writing, you can write a paper. For those of you um, who are much more social media savvy, maybe create a TikTok instead. And then maybe for people who like to talk a lot, like do a short five to 10 minute 
uh, podcast blurb of you having a conversation explaining these topics. Yeah. And so like, it's almost like a choose your own adventure, right? Like any one of those assessments taps into you demonstrating you have that knowledge acquisition. And I think that lends itself well to like ungrading, where there's a mm-hmm. bit more flexibility. I think that might be harder to do when you stick with a traditional grading system because people are like, well, what is an A on a paper and an A on a podcast episode and an A on a TikTok, right? So I think that's more of an issue like traditional grading, but I think you can implement it with ungrading and have that flexibility that gives individualized consideration to the students. I like that. I think that also just like kind of goes away with like having to create really stringent unflexible rubrics for assignments as well which is another reason I think ungrading is so great um because like sitting down and like trying to be like this is what an A is on this assignment and stuff is just not fun to do that's also my fear with this backwards design in its worst and my personal view it's mm-hmm. worst version of being very very strict it's people can be like and I created a rubric so because I created a rubric it can't be biased mm-hmm. there's a lot of great articles and maybe we can link it in the resource notes about just because you create a rubric it's almost like great you've created your subjective categories of what counts as a five out of five or three points out of five and so i know people like to house or tote it as like and here is the standard template that i'm holding to each every and every student but i think that's the problem like maybe we shouldn't be holding the exact same template to each and every student yeah. and maybe meet them where they're at as an individual but that's my rant on the side so well I think like going back to like what you said about how like it's probably good to have that flexibility and like the kind of like choose your own adventure I find that really appealing and I think I would like to design a class in the future that's kind of like that um so I know like we've talked a little bit in the past about like the gamification of the classroom and so like having like the opportunity to, it's like you you can go on this side quest or this side quest, but like in the end, like they all, they like they lead to the same learning objective. Like, I think that sounds like so much fun. I love that as you're saying that it's because it's like, all right, well, that encourages people not just to do like one type of assessment or they don't even see it as like work then. They're like, I'm just engaging right. with the material. So maybe they want to do all three things, write a paper, a podcast, a plan, and they got their side quest, their video game points right on the rank ladder yeah. and now they're top dog and it's like all of it is just a trick right because the trick yeah. is like we got you to learn and their eyes are like i want a competition i think you pointed out probably one of the biggest flaws or biggest downsides i would say mm-hmm. and maybe not downsides the word biggest challenge even if you just have a single assessment right so even not playing all several different types of assessments to get the same thing and being really creative if doing appropriate course design at its most like basic fundamental level with backwards design in mind, it's a lot of reflection and a lot of work. And so just because we're saying you're being more intentional, that really means setting down and thinking deeply and not just writing some random, like, oh, they're going to write a paper for this or do that, that. It's sitting down and really, really, really saying like, is my class the best that it can be? How can I do this better? Add into the mix all the additional elements and that could take a summer to like design a holistic course ready to go. So yeah. I'm glad that you implemented like the idea of like, listen, maybe I'm not doing all the things I want to now. And that could be implemented in a future duration of the course, because that's just, that's not something you could do in a day or in a week and be like, no. I've developed a full course that's blah, 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 catered to like, no, it's going to be like a month or two. 
and there's going to be stuff that in the future doesn't work and you're going to be yeah. like okay let me revamp it some more this is like one of my things especially in like the past few weeks one just like sitting down to create new syllabi and then like also taking this class and like talking to a bunch of like other teachers i'm like man am i am i ever going to be satisfied with my classes you know like i feel like there are just so many different things that you can do there's always room for improvement like i always feel like i should be changing and shifting things and experimenting and maybe that's good you know but it also makes me feel like i'm not like my classes aren't enough i don't know if you ever feel that way or if that makes any sense no, it makes complete sense. I think maybe you and the listeners, so people who are willing to listen to an episode about backwards design, Chris, <laughs> yeah, that's my cynic name. I think that's the minority. I think that it's very comforting that once you create your syllabus for the class, just tweak up like every semester, tweak up the new semester, add in the year, add in the new season. And it's just so much easier to be like, it's a one and done thing. And now I don't have to think about it. To be perfectly clear, I'm guilty of this, right? I'm guilty of this this semester for my stats course. I quite literally kept everything mostly the same. And again, I can make the excuses or maybe these are like valid actual things that like I'm busy or other stuff that I didn't have the time to like revamp the course and optimize the stats because mm -hmm. I definitely could, right? Like I could add in more coding projects and I could be a bit more intentional and adding Bayesian statistics and I could do a lot more to make this class better. I know I can, but I didn't. And instead I was like, let me teach. I already have previous lectures already ready to go. I can update like the themes and the optics of it. But like, it's still the same content I've been teaching. I guess that's what I worry about. It's like, I am motivated like you. I just don't think I made the time like you have. And so yeah. like, that's something I need to work on. Because you took five, oh, five week workshop on this. And I'm like, I didn't. <laughs> and it's not something that was on my mind. I know it should be on my mind, but it isn't. Well, I primarily did like the five week workshop because... I'm teaching an asynchronous online class, which I've never done before. And I wanted I wanted to learn about how to do that effectively. Yeah, how do you build a community? That could be a separate episode. How do you build a community when everything's asynchronous? Yeah, I honestly think that would be a really great thing to do, to talk about. But I'd also like never taught this class before. So one, it's a new prep and it's in this modality that I've never done before. Um, so like I wanted to kind of like give myself, I don't know, some knowledge about like how to do this correctly. And I do think that this workshop was incredibly helpful for like giving me ideas and stuff. And connecting um, this with backwards design, the again, always the main advantage being intentionality. You do have to be a lot more intentional with an asynchronous class, right? Like you. Yeah. There is it's it's very hard to be like flexible and adapt to what the students are currently saying when there's not the traditional lecture in. Yeah. Everyone's at home and maybe they're posting on a discussion board. But like that's not the same. It's like And I think that there is this temptation with like an online class like this where it's like you just get everything ready to go and then you start it at the beginning of the semester and then you can just kind of disappear. But I don't want to disappear, you know, like I want to engage with them and like you said, like try to build some kind of community i'm anticipating it to be a challenge nope, nope. i definitely experienced those classes in my master's course yeah and like you like oh, email them and they're like no just follow the route like all the things are like set to like release on certain dates but like there's no actual interaction with real people it feels like yeah it's like this module is now open read this take this test mm-hmm or the more traditional thing is, uh, please respond to this discussion board. Please respond yeah. to two other people who have posted. 
yeah. then like the replies are always because no one really checks or at least the instructor had never actually even gave qualitative feedback on those or tried to engage since it was mostly like this idea of wow cassie you said point a that really made me think period yeah. point a is a good point period did yeah. you think a little bit, do you think this also applies to situation B, question mark? And then the original poster doesn't even respond to that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all the replies on an online, I don't want to like bash like online courses, but like when it's run poorly and it's so easy to run one poorly, that's the type of engagement, that's the type of education you get. I mean, I go back and forth. Like, I feel like at some point this semester in my online class, I'm probably going to have them do a discussion board like I'm still in the process of like creating the modules and stuff so like this is kind of like we'll do it as the semester goes on like I kind of kind of want to see like what kinds of assignments work and what doesn't uh, but I remember absolutely hating discussion board posts as a student and I I think I regularly get that feedback that they they don't get anything out of discussion boards but I feel like instructors are always pushing them they're like do a discussion board like that creates community like they're talking to each other but it's not meaningful dialogue doing that without doing anything else extra or any mm-hmm. other effort it's oh it's it's it is what it is it's a discussion board like yeah. that's not exciting <laughs> that's not yeah. interesting it's not yeah. people don't students don't hear the word discussion board and they're like oh my god people hear oh we're gonna make tiktoks in this class that that's like, oh oh that's oh. are you gonna implement any like tiktok um assignments for your asynchronous class i think that would be cool so like I've... to have them like see each other and like talk with one another and be like hey like yeah you know. i think at some point like or in the semester, like one of my assignments is going to be was going to be like to create a meme. So like that could be fun. You know, maybe like making some sort of like TikTok, like some short little video, like could also be a cool assignment. Like I don't have to limit it to like just the class that I got the grant for. Right. Just so they can actually see each other's faces and like yeah. doing a little, I don't want to say silly dance, but like fun dances and like fun. Yeah. Or I know like what's the other really popular Flipgrid is that that's like another like really popular like application to like make like videos to share with people. Oh, it's like is this is this newest social media is the new no thing? no Flip, is no. it more like a pedagog it sounds more of a pedagogical app name yeah Flipgrid yeah it is it yeah is. I was like this yeah. doesn't sound like Twitter or Vine. It feels weird that a lot of instructors that I notice don't actually tell the students what they want them to learn mm. in the lecture. So like maybe it's on the syllabus, these broad goals, right? But like yeah. my favorite saying that I learned here at UA um, for like this general TA workshop is there's this great talker, I forget his name, he's a communications, but his main thing is tell your audience what you're going to say, tell them what you told them you were going to say, and then tell them what you just told them. Mm. And it's very much emphasizing, like be very, very clear what tell your audience what you want from them and so like if you're learning outcomes of like hey this is what i want you to get out of this lecture or this assignment or this group work right so we're going to do this group work here's what the goal is then you have them do it and they're like all right now we'll do a reflection or talk through students did we meet that goal maybe we didn't what can we do more something else that like a piece of advice that i got this week from like a seasoned faculty member here um was you need to try and get the students to vocalize like why you just did a particular activity or like talked about a particular topic. Like what did that accomplish? Because like that really helps them kind of latch onto the material, right? If they can understand why you had them do something, like often they implicitly 
understand like why you're having them do like a think pair share or like a specific like group discussion or something, but like getting them to vocalize it is actually really helpful for them too. 110% agree. Actually, 105%. Just <laughs> agree that all students implicitly know why they're doing mm, something. Yeah. But I do think there are some students who are like, I'm doing this because I was told to do it. And I don't actually get why. why, right? Even for you, it might be very obvious that like, hey, we talked about t-tests and stats, and now I'm making you run a t-test assignment, right? And people would hopefully get like, oh, he's making us run it so we can apply the knowledge we have. And sometimes it feels like, oh, we're just doing this random thing that's not connected. with. I've had students kind of like have that issue where they're like, uh, you know, where they're just like, why though? Why? And I think why is always an important question. If you can't answer why, then that's a good question. Why are you doing this then? Yeah. For like even this like 101 course, why are we talking about, I don't know, Milgram's obedience study, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a cool study, but like, why should I care about this in my personal life, right? There's a lot of reasons why you should care about this in your personal life. Yeah. And if you didn't tell them that, you should. There was a quote uh, that made me think of you. Okay. From the National Research Council in 2012. <laughs> I know I'm probably going to cast you if these names stay flies. Right. But I like this idea that any education that focuses predominantly on the detailed products of the scientific labor, the so-called facts of science, without developing how these facts were established or ignores the more, many important applications of the scientific process, is in fact misrepre- misrepresenting what science is. Ooh, that does sound like me. Yeah. And I think we've kind of discussed this before of like, we can either teach in a class a bunch of facts, right? Quote unquote, facts are the product of science, but if we're not teaching them how the science or sausage is made or the science is made, (laughs) getting my S is confused. Yeah. I would like to see, or I would like to hope to see that people who are creating these objectives aren't creating the define A, define B. It's almost like Bloom's taxonomy. Is it, how do you pronounce that word? Bloom's taxonomy of words. Yeah taxonomy of words taxonomy for listeners who might be unfamiliar with like what bloom's taxonomy is say a little bit more about that right so it's essentially a list of verbs maybe but it's essentially words or verbs in a hierarchy to try to assess different levels of learning from superficial learning to like deep learning right so if i were to pull up a quick picture like the most bottom basic thing aspect of learning or manifestation of learning is simply remembering Mm. so i lecture something and maybe your course objective is can you remember what was said on this day Mm -hmm. right so basically like the regurgitation aspect yeah but just because you can regurgitate something and remember something doesn't necessarily mean you understand it so like maybe instead of just verbatim repeating what i said can you rephrase this in your own words right so that might be a way or an objective of like to show understanding can you say this in a different way and still get the core concept? Great. That's kind of like a little bit deeper. Next deeper is like, all right, you get this concept and like this definition in your own words, you understand it. Can you apply this abstract thing to the real world? And so there might be different adjectives or verbs or course objectives, but it's now thinking, can I apply, apply, apply to a situation? Great. You can apply it to a situation, but what if things get a bit quirky or a bit funky or you start changing the parameters of the scenario, right? So I applied this knowledge and I applied it to this ideal scenario when this theory should work, right? So maybe a motivation theory says like, hey, when situation A happens, effect B always happens. And you apply it, that's great. And then you ask the student, well, what if that situation A is it exactly the perfect ideal version of situation A? If we tweak things around, right, can you critically think, can you analyze what would happen differently? 
right. would you think would happen? And then the final, like the deepest, deepest hierarchy is essentially doing a deep analysis of these topics. Can you analyze a story? So maybe we're talking about psychological theory and now I'm asking you to read a book and be like, I want you to analyze this book with a psychological lens. And mm-hmm. can you evaluate this book, right? So there's this analysis and evaluation. All right, cool. You went from, and just as a recap, because I know all this works uh, confusing, you can go from simply regurgitating and remembering the information to understanding it and repeating it in your own words, to applying and using this information, to now analyzing and evaluating other works. Bloom's final, deepest. If you were to think of this as a period, so instead of going down deep, 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 you could think of a period going up, up, up to the peak. Mm-hmm. is creation that's the according to bloom and i'm inclined to agree to truly mm-hmm. say you've mastered something or some aspect of knowledge is if you can create something new from it that's kind of what a phd is is it not i was like, about to say like yeah that's what a that's the point of a dissertation is to to show you can create yeah that you have such mastery such intimate knowledge of a topic and you're able to create new knowledge or you're able to expand upon that mm-hmm. And so a lot of what I would say classes stick with is at the most superficial levels of learning where they might stick with remember, right? So can you repeat what I said to you back? And that might be like a test. And maybe some people might do like a paper or something of, can you say this in your own words? Maybe at the college level, you see a little bit more of apply. So kind of that middle section, like, can you apply this to a new scenario? But I think it kind of goes stops there, right? Maybe if you're like a senior seminar, they're like now analyze. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't feel like every single class should maybe be focused on getting students to like the peak of creation. Like, I feel like that's kind of like the purpose of having capstone classes and things like that, where it's like when you're in a one, 101 student, like a psych 101 student, maybe you like from that one class. three months isn't enough to create something. Yeah, exactly. You know, but like as you advance through your degree and like go to upper level classes, by the end of it, you should be able to create something. So going back to the original point of what I was like slightly, you know, judging Cassie and wrestling her for, yeah. it's that usually for at least education, I remember education courses I remember. It's when writing learning objectives, basically like Bloom's taxonomy of all his verbs at each of those different levels of like key, right? And so it's like actually use those words to start off your learning objectives. For create, if mm-hmm. you're like, so maybe creating is the ultimate manifestation, maybe this is a senior um, capstone. You might have learning objectives like design a project, modify a project. I want mm-hmm. you to role play and do something. I want you to collaborate and invent with others versus like maybe a more basic understanding is can you define, can you identify, can you describe? That mm-hmm. middle point of like analysis might be like, can you compare and contrast two different ideas? Yeah. Right. But that's how the learning objective would start. It would be compare and contrast, blah, define, blah invent blah i like that i i don't think i was very familiar with that prior to this conversation so i think that's helpful oh really oh sorry yeah that's just maybe i think it's one of those things where like i took so many classes i'm like oh maybe this is common knowledge Mm -hmm. um and then you realize that what you know might not necessarily always be yeah we can link a reading about it in in the show notes too oh yeah there's hundreds if not thousands of papers written on bloom yeah it's very classic classic yeah. All that to say, it's if you're not having them create science and doing their own experience of class, that's fine. But maybe even if it's just like compare and contrast different ways of knowing about the yeah. world, I think that might align with your very broad web shackle of like epistemic knowledge and like how we come to know things. Mm-hmm. Or like, yeah, I think that's just like your whole research area is just like, how <laughs> yeah. do we know what we know, right? Yeah. You know? How, how do we Simple. think that we know? Yeah. 
if I were to add like one last thing before we conclude, Cassie, I would say that maybe like as a tip to monitor your learning objectives beyond just the assessment portion, right? And even if you have like a five minute review or 10 minute review at the end of class, I could definitely see in something I've been trying to do a bit more, especially for my stats course, since those concepts are a bit heavier or they're a little bit more uh, opaque. I think might be the right word for students. It's like about, I'm aiming to do this again, but like around every two weeks, bi-weekly, of just sending out like a survey, an anonymous survey with those learning objectives. And it's basically you're touching base with your students as a whole. And so when I used to do a bit more grading things, I would do it for like extra credit. This is probably going to be the first time I sent out those surveys. I'm like, hey, do this just so I have like a pulse on what's going on in the class. Mm-hmm. But I think that might be a good way to like monitor for yourself or self-monitor like am I meeting goals? And it's not necessarily in a fast pace. You have to have a discussion and talk and share with the class for five minutes. But it's like, it's a way to like externally validate stuff beyond what you feel is happening in the classroom. I've heard of people doing this before. I think I've heard it called like a class temperature check. But I think this is like another reason like flexibility in the classroom is so important, right? So like imagine you send out like one of these like temperature checks or like surveys to to see how the class is like understanding or if they feel like these goals are being met and the resounding answer is no. So then like you can take the time to go back and recover some content or do some additional activities to make sure that these objectives are are truly being met. And I learned a new term, some temperature, (laughs) classroom temperature checks. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for um, talking about course objectives with me today, Jacob. When are you sending me my paycheck for coming on the show? (laughs) You know, as uh, soon as we get our first sponsor. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure since you're a big, bad faculty member, real money now. Um, I am making real money now, more than that grad student money. I'm not wealthy by any means, but I don't think that was ever an expectation for professors. <laughs> no one be yeah. like, mm, yeah, Cassie yeah, no one... be making that bank. Yeah, I don't think anybody becomes an educator because they want to be rich, rich in experience, rich in relationships, you know, just not money. Rich in where it counts. But I do got that good health insurance now. <laughs> That's good. And you know, if you ever did become actually, actually yeah. materialistically rich, that wouldn't yeah. hurt either. Yep. All right, then. Well, we have some exciting stuff coming up in some future episodes. So stay on the lookout for those, especially our interview episodes with our, as of now, secret guests. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to us talk about course design for a bit and back design. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see you in the next one. See you in the next one. Bye. Hello, hello again. We just wanted to thank you one more time for listening to Two Random Weirdos. If you want to listen to us ramble some more, we'll be posting episodes hopefully bi-weekly on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Fingers crossed. If you want to get in touch with us, we can be found on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at CorruptYouthPod. Or feel free to email us at CorruptingTheYouthPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and helping us spread the corruption. Bye. Bye.